From the Toddcast Studios in Ottawa, Ontario, you're listening to Talking Feds. This is Episode 3. Hello and welcome, GC. I'm Todd Lyons, and on this edition of Talking Feds, an interview with a representative of Operation Clean Slate, a whistleblower organization that is alleging wrongdoing at CAPE, the Canadian Association of Professional Employees. This material is provided with minimal host comment and interruption. I invite you to listen with an open mind and to do your own research to formulate your own opinion on the issues raised. I have no knowledge of the identity of the party interviewed on this edition. It was conducted at an agreed time via a blocked number from a disposable cell phone. Now, I have to admit, I'm pretty disconnected from union activities. I pay my my dues, but as far as their day-to-day activities, I have to say that it really hardly ever enters my mind. Not very often at all. But I have been known to go on social media from time to time, and that's actually how I learned about your group. So tell me, what is Operation Clean Slate, in a nutshell? Uh, Well, I'll preface my remarks as well as saying that I was uh, fairly disconnected from union activities for about 10 years. And it's been 10 years since I've been a part of CAPE. Um, But leading up to this, it it was really Catherine May's Ottawa Citizen article back in, I think, early June that uh, it was quite lengthy and uh, it made me take notice of what was going on. And Operation Clean Slate evolved out of what was just my first Twitter account, which got suspended Cape Watch 2016, which began really only as something to highlight what was in Catherine May's article. But then that's when people started to get in touch with me, and and this were the exact words used were, I like what you're doing here. Do you want to do some more? And I was a bit intrigued, and I'm just a normal, uh, you know, policy analyst. And uh, not into, you know, taking leaked documents or what have you. And the more I got into it, the more I saw that there was a group that was known as the Slate. It is an unofficial type party that's running and running the National Executive Committee basically with almost a majority. So they get to control things, but they pretty much, and what I had seen and what what I've received on Twitter... Uh, is that yes? They they represent a pretty small segment of the the Cape constituency of the membership, and they call themselves the Slate. And when I began to see what they were doing and carrying on, and what sort of activities they were undertaking, it just became clear to me that we should call it, you know, Operation Clean Slate is just to clean the slate, and uh, because it was truly undemocratic behavior. And so 
that's where Operation Clean Slate comes from. Uh, we're not, quite a few people co- uh, communicate. It's not organized, like I said. Um, the people who leak me documents, uh, they're not part of anything like this. Uh, I've dropped the little anonymous kind of uh, theme. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what brings us to Operation Clean Slate. Okay, so among the concerns that I've become aware of as a result of just following your tweets and, and other things that I've read online are financial mismanagement, unauthorized spending to the tune of about half a million dollars, election tampering, and toxic workplace. What can you tell me about about each of those as far as what you've learned, like what the concerns are, the allegations are, and, and what evidence exists in each of those piles to sort of substantiate the, that this is a real problem going on at Cape? Yeah, those are actually the, uh, the, the broad areas that I guess were highlighted in Catherine May's uh, Ottawa Citizen article. And um, I don't know what she saw, but she only reported basically on the allegations that were in a very large uh, petition that was circulated, I guess, back in February and was the topic of a special general meeting, which I, I wasn't even involved with the union back in March. I really didn't pay any attention to things going on. But from that point on, in this petition, the allegations are, yes, uh, toxic workplace, the about half a million dollars in unauthorized and undisclosed spending, uh, election tampering, and... Um, what was the other one? There's so many, sorry. Uh, I guess, yeah, financial mismanagement, the spending, the election tampering, the toxic workplace. Yeah, so I guess you can wrap up the final mis- mismanagement in the uh, half a million dollars of what's known to be undisclosed and unauthorized spending by President Tromley. Uh, what I know, uh, let's address the, the toxic workplace at Cape National Office. So I've seen documents uh, as recently as last week on the toxic workplace at the Cape National Office. Incidentally, with the petition that came out in, in uh, March of this year and uh, subsequently spurred the special general meeting of the uh, membership, there was the official response you know, of Emmanuel Trombley to the petition. And in there, she says, and she flatly denies unequivocally that there is no problems and there's no complaints against her by staff, which is blatantly untrue. I haven't published them on, on Twitter. I, I do have copies of the complaints by staff against her. I do have documents that attest to a toxic workplace. Uh, the reason why I haven't posted them is because they're, they're, quite, they're quite intimate, private staff that have filed these complaints are, are pretty vulnerable. There's some sensitive topics discussed in it, but I do have the documents. Yes, there, there are uh, complaints against Emmanuel Tremblay that she has you know, run kind of a dictatorship in that office and that she is abusive, she's harassed staff, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a very pretty situation. And what makes it all the worst is that Emmanuel Tremblay and what was her official response, as she named it, her official response, was that she said that there are no complaints against her, which was a lie. And I think Kate members 
should demand more respect and leadership should not disrespect them in that way. There's a lot of bad things that have gone on, but being lied to, the lack of integrity and intentional dishonesty by a president, that that's a bridge too far. That's more than I'll accept. And I think that's why I hope to kind of expose on Twitter, online, maybe have people start saying like, look, the people who take my dues, maybe they can mismanage and misspend it, but they, they should treat me with a little bit more respect. They can treat the money with a, with a slightly less respect than I would if I were spending my own. I think people are in the government are used to that sort of approach. I know we, we live in Ottawa in the National Capital Region in Gando, and most of ECs are working in policy shops. We are more than familiar, more, uh, you know, well aware of what goes on in the politics and the sleaze that goes on in this town. And that's not to say that there's a whole lot of it. But just to be lied to is really insulting. ECs are very intelligent, highly educated people, master's degrees, law degrees, PhDs, economics, math, sociology. They, they didn't fall off the turnip truck and they weren't born yesterday. So to me, that was the impetus, really, of starting all this. Now, I know we're talking about the toxic workplace, because I don't like my money being spent on somebody who feels it's okay to step on people. I especially don't like that being spent by somebody who uh, promotes the protection of workers. So that uh, inconsistency and incoherence of, you know, the labor and workers movement uh, really irks me. Yeah. And now, I also posted a few things, uh, settlement documents where Emmanuel has, um, it's not admitted that there was a wrongful termination, but she did settle and she did pay general damages. Uh, now, I think uh, CAPE membership should know that the workplace is so hostile that I guess she's forcing people at the door in what we would put in quotations is involuntary departure. Now, that would be a result of the toxic workplace, but the settlements are also uh, quite large. Um, I think the lowest we'd see about 70,000 and over 100,000. I've posted one by our lead negotiator, Dr. Lionel Dion, who was fairly unceremoniously let go and the reasons given for it by Emmanuel was nothing short of a lie too, which I've exposed. So yes, the, the way that she runs and implements her human resources plan in the office at Cape National, I can only draw one conclusion and that is it is a toxic workplace. I don't work there, but from what I've heard and seen, documented that I can draw no other conclusion than that. Now, uh, we can move on to election tampering. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way too. Um, I never really wanted to think of the professional association that I belong to, the union or what have you, as something out of 19th 60s, 70s mob 
movie or something like that. Is ballot stuffing in a box just because union bosses want to hold on to power. But then when I started to see the evidence, again, there was really no other conclusion to draw. And, and which, which election are we referring to in this, uh, in this discussion? We're referring to the uh, November 2015 by-election for the National Executive Committee and EC director, which elected Maureen Collins. Uh, she's at Citizenship and Immigration, whatever it's renamed now, Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, I guess it may be. But internal emails revealed that Emmanuel and her team, the Slate, were were watching election results come in because the voting window was open from November 10th to December 1st. And it was done on an electronic platform. And there was only one person with administration rights to log into that, and that was Emmanuel. And she would go and look at who was voting, what departments. She could even see the language profile of the voter. Now, in the first past the post kind of election, nobody knows where the post is until uh, the vote's been counted. But if you know where the post is, and you can influence the outcome to be the first one past that, then that's a really unfair advantage. Now, in democracies, and I don't want to be too pedantic here about the principle of the secret ballot, is that nobody knows who voted, how they voted. They only know the aggregate total after the voting closes. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons for that, but for the one is that's particularly salient to this issue is that you don't need, you shouldn't know where the post is until the election is done, until the voting is closed. They were monitoring where the post was throughout the entire voting window and would go and recruit voters to push them past that post. They knew how many to get. They would set themselves targets. They would say things like, we just need another 50 and we'll be safe. They would say, I went out leafletting. I went out, uh, yeah, recruiting new voters. Uh, let's check the voting counts tonight to see how many votes we actually got. How impactful, I think their words were in the emails, was this. Now, the funny thing is, there was also CAPE staff involved in this, which, if we were to apply the analogy of how we work as like ECs and what have you, is we're a neutral bureaucracy. We're staffed to serve, I guess, at the bureaucratic pleasure and carry out the policy and programming mandate of our political masters. But then, then I see a loyal kind of cadre of Emmanuel supporters emerge from within the Cape National who are actually quite partisan. They were on these emails where they were, they were accessing Insight, that is the platform, the voting electronic voting platform that we've contracted for about $50,000 a year just to run these elections and voting and what have you. They, were, they knew what was going on, too. So there was a small group that were trying to defeat Maureen Collins. She eventually won, but they identified a preferred candidate who was more along their lines of political persuasion they can identify with brought them onto their quasi-unofficial party, the Cape Stand-Up, which is 
just another word for their slate. And um, it, it was remarkable what they did to bring them to almost claim victory. I take a very dim view. And actually, I take a less than academic view of individuals who want to undermine democracy. Now, I don't even care if it's somebody who's rigging the raffle at a local hockey tournament. I don't, I don't want those people in charge of taking my money, taking the money of people uh, that I work with and families who are having a hard time actually getting paid these days and uh, being in control of it because they, they took control through illegitimate methods. I take a very dim view of that. So on the subject of money, how much freedom does CAPE have to be able to make decisions and allocate funds? And, and specifically, this $500,000 of, of funds, which, which seems to have been misdirected or used without permission or authorization. So that's one of the big ones. That's, that's one of the uh, issues that's elicited the most reaction, I think, and, and has, has had, you know, I, I've gotten the most contact from followers and even people who don't follow me on Twitter because I can add right now, just interject, there's a lot of people lurking and watching and they'll send me messages, but they don't follow me because I see getting, I, I see about 800 to 900 profile visits per day but I only have about 200 followers. Mind you, the, the account's only been going for three weeks since the last one was shut down. But the issue that really stings the membership and even non-members that come by is the money, is about half a million dollars. Now, what got people really angry was the secret memorandum of understanding between the CAPE staff, which are not CAPE members, they're part of their own union. They're part of the ESU, the Employees Staff Union. Now, they negotiated with Manuel in secret because they put a confidentiality clause in this two-page memorandum of understanding that they would take, and it amounted to almost about $400,000 of, of Cape money to pay for their tax bills that they owed. So over a few years... Their own personal taxes or what taxes? Yes, their own personal taxes, their income taxes. What had happened was uh, Canada Revenue Agency assessed a bunch of CAPE employees and said, hey, you are receiving taxable benefits. Uh, they weren't declared and no taxes were remitted. You never paid taxes on these taxable benefits. So what did CAPE employees do? They went and threatened legal action against CAPE saying, you never told us that we had to pay taxes on this. Now, that's in the very first paragraph of the Memorandum of Understanding. This is due to something about CAPE did not provide taxation information. So, apparently, it was our duty as, you know, or CAPE, somebody at CAPE didn't say to them, hey, when you're filing taxes, make sure you declare this because this is a taxable benefit. We're giving you something and you have to tell the government because this is of worth, you know, some value that they have to tax. So they came back and they said, well, look, we want you to pay our tax bill. And Emmanuel said, sure, and signed it. 
and they kept it a secret. Um, apparently, the, one of the vice presidents that I understand, um, because I saw some internal documents, went to the retained firms uh, that Cape has had longstanding relationships with, uh, Norton Rose Fulbright or Goldblatt Partners. Those are the two firms that Cape has worked with for 20-some-odd years and said, hey, this, this isn't right. We have no obligation to pay anyone's tax bill. And they're coming here and threatening us. And Emmanuel is just going to say, yep, take the money. And so it was over a period of five or six years worth. And it ended up amounting to around $400,000. And they kept it a secret. And Emmanuel had no authorization. The National Executive Committee would have had to have put that to a vote and approve that spending. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Hello. All right. Sorry. Okay. Uh, my burner phone ran out of money. Okay. That's, they, they kept on interrupting and saying, like, you only have 10 cents left. Okay. I, I, I do use a burner phone that's not registered in my name just because, yeah, they are after me. Go ahead. Proceed, Mr. Anonymous. Yes. <laughs> That would have had to have been approved and put to a vote by the National Executive Committee. That's a big chunk of money for an organization that brings in about $7 million a year in the dues. And that's really the only source of revenue for CAPE. So $400,000 in just one stroke of a signature and saying, yes, we'll, we'll pay that off. But that also includes about $100,000 that Emmanuel gave out in loans to staff because they, when they first got their assessment and they found out that they owed some money, she immediately, within three weeks of assuming the presidency, January 21st, signed about 40 checks to Revenue Canada or like the Receiver General and in uh, Revenue Quebec to pay off whatever amounts that these people, you know, might have had in dispute at that time. Now, she did that, and by the time September rolled around was the MOU, so she forgave the loans. They didn't have to pay that back. And if they'd made any payments at all to these uh, two revenue agencies, then they could just apply for reimbursement and a refund from Cape. So we were literally paying their taxes. Um, it's on income. It's on employment-generated income. It's what we paid them for. They have a collective agreement. They did not negotiate that in the previous round. I mean, it's, it seems quite absurd because not even you and I, as part of our collective agreement with, uh, with the employer, our own employer, the government of Canada, with TBS, we don't negotiate for uh, payment of our taxes as well. So we don't walk away with 100% of what we earn. They just remit on our behalf. They deduct at source. Um, so the $400,000, that has really got a lot of people worked up. I've received quite a few messages about that. That's angered quite a few people. And it's one of the issues that's under investigation right now. And I wonder, I wonder about how much, how much of this information and how many of these documents have made it their way into 
Georges Nadeau, who is the investigator, into his hands for examination because I've been privy, or not quite privy, but I've been given information that Emmanuel and her friends on the National Executive Committee have withheld documents, especially in the election tampering, from the investigator because the investigator had no power to compel disclosure or production, which makes me... Uh, makes me doubt that he may arrive at at a conclusion that we would otherwise if, if we had seen everything, all the facts. Have you been able to reach out to him to try to offer those documents? No, I'm just hoping that they uh, that they make his way that they make their way into his hands. Uh, people have told me I've taken stuff from your postings and passed pass them along to him. Um, for example, this MOU that had a confidentiality clause that shall not be disclosed, I'm hoping that made, it way, made its way into his hands as well. Um, I would suspect, because there was a few people that were signatories to it, that they would not have disclosed it and that they would have fought to maintain its confidentiality that nobody wouldn't have known about it. Um, the behavior that I've seen um, is, is, is nothing short of contempt for the process. The statements that have been made, uh, about two of them or so, one that was in print with Catherine May and one is in uh, Emmanuel Tremblay's official response, was that she's cooperating fully. But since she's been caught withholding um, and concealing documents that are, are you know, quite germane, that, you know, have hold quite high probative value to findings of the uh, investigation. She's withheld. She has not, she's not cooperated fully. And so it makes me also doubt, and, and I do have, I, I really don't have a whole lot of faith in, in, in her integrity, the way that she has lied. And this is just another example of it. The way that she has not disclosed it all to the membership, this $400,000 that she just gave away, that was a gift. It wasn't earned. It wasn't. It wasn't negotiated for um, the exchange of labor in their last bargaining round for the collective agreement between Cape and the employee staff union. No, they just came around and, and raised the flag and said, "We'll sue you if you don't pay our, our taxes." And, and she kind of has some close political relations with a few of the ECU members too, especially the president and vice president. Um, these issues that I hope to draw some attention to on, on Twitter, I, if, I, if I change one mind, that's fine. I've changed my own mind, too. I, I'm actively going to be voting now in union affairs whenever the ballot comes out, because I did vote in 2014, and I think that was my first time participating in anything with the union. Now, I, I will be voting, and I'm hoping that when the referendum comes out later this fall on the removal of Emmanuel Tremblay as president, uh, that a lot more will vote, that they will say, well, look, this, this is more than I will accept. What resistance have you encountered in trying to bring this information to the public? 
since uh, I've uh, I'm on my third Twitter account. I've had two suspended before. I've had a lot. Of, I've had a few threatening emails sent my way. I've been called a few names. That's fine. Uh, they don't bother me. Uh, the threats. This. Yeah. Once again, this is not you know something that you would see in an Oliver Stone movie. Um, you know, these aren't big union bosses. Uh, that are linked to the mafia. So I'm not really afraid of their threats. I'm not af- afraid of somebody who's blindly loyal to Emmanuel Tremblay and who might be, a, you know, mid-level policy analyst at like you know Service Canada or something. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not really afraid of their threats, and they're not going to stop me. Um, other resistance. I I know that they're looking for me. They brought in forensic IT people to look over, I guess, the computer system to see where the leaks are. Just because people have told me what has been raised at uh, national executive committee meetings is that they were prepared to spend up to $60,000 just to start to look for me. Uh, Now it appears that they uh, may be acquiring. I've only just posted the proposal recently from Hill and Knowlton, this massive powerhouse of a PR firm that's global in scope, um, to, I guess, spin the messages. Um, they want to, I guess, counter anything that may be coming out of me. It's not only just me, too. Uh, more and more people are talking about this. I, I hear people who did not care before. Uh, <laughs> Oddly, I don't tell them. Nobody knows who I am. Only my spouse knows who I am uh, and what I'm doing. Uh, people I've worked with and been part of CAPE as like a policy analyst or policy advisor for years, they don't know that I'm doing this, uh, yet there they are sitting not too far from me. So uh, the resistance... It is mostly about me as a personality and not out of principle. It is the same kind of resistance that Emmanuel has done. It's a little bit heavy-handed, um, marshalling lawyers. If you've seen the cease and desist letters that I've posted, um, she hasn't been afraid to access money to pay to shut people up. Now that's what they're doing with me. Um, Does this forensic analysis, the spin, the the getting lawyers for cease and desist, does that all fall under things that are allowable by what what uh, what CAPE is, is allowed to do, or is this, again, an overstep? Uh, I think those are allowable because they, apparently the the 60 grand, which is actually what I've heard is $56,000, which was approved, will be coming out of the president's operating budget, which was approved at the membership vote, vote in June when we all voted on the budget. I wouldn't say all of us, maybe only 1,000 out of 13,000 members. Uh, so now she can spend that money as, as she sees fit on operations issues. And this one seems to be where she wants to focus the money. So it, this money doesn't need approval by the National Executive Committee. It doesn't have to go to the membership for a vote. And, um, but I, I would be, I'd love to see where it shows up in the balance sheet, probably operations and professional services, hiring uh, 
PricewaterhouseCoopers to uh, do forensic IT stuff. Um, Hale and Knowlton to uh, to do PR, or as they say in their uh, in their proposal, they say reputation recovery. <laughs> Um, I'm not interested in her reputation outside of CAPE. This, to me, is about CAPE members. Like, if she feels that, you know, when she goes to meetings with the president of PSAC, that maybe the president of PSAC or whatever other union out there or whatever other association that she might, you know, have any kind of relationship, like professional, doesn't really see her, that's fine. I, I, I'm okay with that. I don't care about her external relationship and reputation. Um, you know, on the outside, she can look great, but as long as the message is reaching the membership, it's their union. Is there anything that CAPE members can do at this point? Or do they just have to wait for the outcome of the petition or whatever investigations are going on? I think there's a lot they can do. They don't have to wait for the outcome of this of this investigation. This investigation that might cost a quarter of a million. The last amount that we had heard was $146,000 so far, and that was at uh, like the June 8th or something uh, membership budget meeting. Since then, it's still been going on. Um, what can they do? I would say continue to voice your concerns. You, you can talk to like your local presidents because most departments and agencies in, in the National Capital Region anyways do have a local. And for people that want to get copies of this information, is there, is there some repository where this is being saved in case you know social media accounts continue to get shut down over time? I'll always make sure it's available. Uh, shutting down these Twitter accounts is just a whack-a-mole type thing. They've, they should just give up trying to shut it down because I'll just pop up the next day with a new one. Um, and there, there will be a place to start putting them, I'm imagining, because I'm getting so many documents and I've, I have hundreds of emails. I have um, spreadsheets, too, on finances. that I do have to put them somewhere where they can just... Uh, they can always be accessed. Yeah, because I see that they're they're all seem to be hosted at the same website. Is there the possibility that those sites could be contacted and be forced to delete the repository that you've been uploading there? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay. I, I always knew that was a, a possibility. Uh, I started hosting the PDFs at the PDF Archive website because when I was posting them as images on Twitter. I think that's what that's what uh, that's what got me shut down a few times. Okay. Um, I was contacted a week or so ago about from from Twitter uh, to delete one tweet. Uh, it was an email, an email chain actually, of the slate, and maybe somebody had reported it. It was reported as a privacy violation, so somebody didn't like seeing their email address posted on there. So. Linking to an external website, not an issue for Twitter, uh, so that's why I'll post them at a PDF hosting website. 
Now, that PDF hosting website, I'm sure, can be contacted by whomever and say, like, look, take this down. But it, again, there's thousands of those. So they'll always pop up. Any final thoughts? Don't let the bastards grind you down. Thanks for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Listening to Talking Feds, Episode 3. All opinions expressed on the program are strictly those of the individual and are not necessarily those of their employer. I've endeavored to present the subject neutrally while inviting you, the listener, to make your own determination of truth. You may send threatening and offensive messages to me at your peril. You'll receive no reply, but they will be distributed and published as I see fit. Talking Feds is planned, written, and technically produced using open-source software, Canboard, DocuWiki, and Audacity running on Kubuntu Linux and Linux Mint KDE Edition. Our theme music is by Jazar and is used under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. Talking Feds content is free to use and share under the same CC by SA license, and episodes are always available on the open web at toddlions.ca. If you've got a comment, a suggestion, or a question, please join the Talking Feds group on GC Connects. You can reach me directly at Todd at ToddLyons.ca. I'm Todd Lyons. Thank you for listening. <laughs>